The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. I've continued to reflect on my isolation time in Assisi, Italy which many of you know I had to do after I tested positive for COVID on the youth pilgrimage. It's a strange thing. You know, it was not onerous. It was not physical hardship. 
After a couple days of feeling lousy, I was lounging in a nice hotel room, brought food at each meal. Through the internet, I had access to all the movies and books that I could want. I finally watched all the Spider-Man and Venom movies I hadn't seen. I even had a door to some fresh air and sunshine. It was for the greater good that I wouldn't make anyone else sick. I knew that I would eventually be okay, uh, be able to go home, that I was okay. I had amazing support from Sandy, Carter, and Richard. I had sweet and encouraging notes from my pilgrims and their parents. Somehow, though, away from my family, each day stretched and stretched. The prospect of the maximum time I might have had to wait up to 21 days felt like forever. It made me begin to feel a little nutty in my hotel room. When it's not freely made, even a virtuous choice begins to feel a bit poisoned. Freedom is, of course, a good topic for reflection as we approach Independence Day here in the United States. What is it? Is it a virtue in and of itself, or does even it have a higher purpose? And how do we uphold it and balance it with the needs of society, of a country, of a diverse whole, which usually means accepting some limits, some voluntary coercions in order to pursue the greater good? Tricky part is, of course, all 331 plus million of us have different opinions on which limits are good and necessary and which ones get in the way of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many can agree that they are worried about the direction of our country, though their concern can lead them in entirely opposite directions. Many of us would agree, I think, that there's an increasing sense that it's harder to talk with those who prioritize different virtues than the ones that we do. Harder to find common ground, harder to compromise, harder to even agree upon basic facts. I recognize that as a challenge and a negative thing, but I also don't really know what to do about it. While on the advice of a wise bishop I once knew, I try to keep in my mind the phrase, I could be wrong. I also feel and believe strongly the views that I hold. And some of the topics of the day are for some truly matters of life and death. So they are hard to just agree to disagree about. They're things worth fighting for. If we could do like James and John wanted to do in our gospel passage from last week and call down fire on those who refuse our message, it would be all craters out there. <laughs> in all honesty, I often feel distraught about the state of the union, more often than not these days. Sometimes it feels like the voice of the average person just doesn't matter too much. And much of the time, I think about it through the lens now that I have of concern for my daughter, of which limitations will or will not keep her safe, of which will restrict her and hold her back from all of the opportunities to grow into the fullness of the amazing creature of God she has been created to be. I worry about the overheated, drowning in plastic world that she will inherit, and I'm angry 
that we haven't done more to help solve what will now be her generation's problem. It can be a bit overwhelming. So it helps me. It helps me to remember that our faith and our mission as disciples of Jesus were founded and formed in communities that were under the thumb of an empire, the Roman Empire. Lutheran pastor Lura Groen writes, neither Jesus nor Paul nor any of the Hebrew prophets lived in a democracy. And this comforts me. The teachings they gave us become more relevant, not less, when the world feels like it's falling apart. They gave us ways to live and resist. They knew what to do. So what do we do? Daniel talked about it in his formation this morning, mentioning Babette's Feast, a wonderful movie which you should all go see. We form real communities of love and care, inviting everyone in but having high standards for behavior. We read scripture, we sing hymns and share meals. We care for the poor and the sick, both inside of and outside of our community. We tell the truth about our lives. We trust, we trust that divine reality pushes us towards a better world and we live in that world enough to hope and work for justice in this one. We love each other and God. We can do this. In Luke today, Jesus sends out 70 followers, two by two, to prepare his way, perhaps alluding to an early understanding that 70 countries made up the world. And so they prefigure the great commission of the church to go throughout all the world and preach the gospel. The urgency of the mission is heightened by the instruction to travel light as well as the need to receive the hospitality of others. This is a position of vulnerability, like lambs among the wolves. There will be no coercion, no fires from heaven here, simply the sharing that God's kingdom has drawn near in words, in acts, and in the sharing of peace. It's always more complicated in practice, but this isn't a bad summary of our work as the church, even today. We share the same news that God has drawn near in Christ, in both words and sacramental acts. We don't coerce, but offer, give peace, and put ourselves in a position to accept the hospitality of others, i.e., get out there in the world. That call doesn't change regardless of the context of it, whether in times of peace and stability or of challenge and discord. Certainly the trials of the church and how to faithfully live into that mission can be distressing and overwhelming as well if we spend too long in the big picture. Certainly the church too has at times fallen catastrophically short of its ideals. These matters of faith and of civic life are large, beyond the control of many of us as individuals, and I at least can't fault folks who have lost faith in the institutions. Eventually, though, because God is faithful and because I am a part of a community of believers, 
I'm eventually reminded to listen for the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And I'm reminded to pray. I remember to return to myself. I think about those 70 followers out on the road with each other, two by two, walking step by step. And it helps me to zoom in and narrow my focus. Another movie I saw recently, this one with Georgie, Frozen 2. And there's this theme and this scene that one of the characters, Princess Anna, returns to, especially at a moment when she thinks she has lost someone so important to her and her world is falling apart. She remembers that she was taught, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Step by step, she is able to move out of overwhelming sorrow, beyond overwhelming fear. The next right thing is all that she has to worry about in that moment. Love the one you're with. Do what you can with what you have. Share the good news in whatever way presents itself. It's a little thing, I know. But when I remember it, it's often like a loaves and fishes situation out of that reminder that following Jesus is a step-by-step -step way of life. And just to focus on that next step, it eases the load a little bit. It's doable. It won't solve the world's problems, no illusions there. But it will help me be faithful and do my part. Everyone has their own call. For me, that's pushing myself to get more engaged, even if it doesn't always feel like it matters that much. It may mean protesting. It may mean organizing for what I believe is right. I probably need to write some more letters and make some more phone calls. Because liberty and justice, accessible for all, not just a select few, because God has given them to all. And if enough of us are looking for that next right thing, well, maybe God will work a loaves and fishes situation out of that too. It is kind of God's thing, especially against stacked odds. So Jesus is calling. Let's get on the road. Let's prepare the way. Let's keep our eyes out for the next right thing with God's help.